This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. Okay, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast. Today's Monday, July 16th, 2018. I am your host, Patrick Moran. Got a great podcast in store for you today. Quick story time. Growing up as a kid in Buffalo, New York, I loved watching college basketball and especially point guards. Many of the sports stars that I idolized as a kid and a teenager, they were point guards. Guys like Pearl Washington from Syracuse, Mark Jackson from St. John's, uh, Mark Price from Georgia Tech, and Rod Strickland from DePaul, to name a few. Of course, Rod was on this podcast not too long ago. I'm happy to say that I got another one of them on the show today. A guy who, along with Mark Price, were probably my two favorite ever. Kenny Anderson, a New York City prodigy, who went on to be a two-year superstar at Georgia Tech before entering the 1991 NBA draft. He was the second overall pick in the draft. He played in the NBA for 14 years. Kenny Anderson joins the Moranalytics podcast today. We're talking his childhood, his hoops career, and the many ups and downs that came along with being a basketball star, both on the court and especially off it. We also talk about the Mr. Chibs documentary, a doc that he starred in last year, which chronicles his life in a very real, a very emotional, and sometimes extremely painful manner. It's available on Amazon, and I'm telling you right now, if you haven't seen it yet, you really should. I just watched it recently, and it's really incredible. Seriously, it blew me away. Immediately after Kenny, I'll be joined by Tone Pucks for our weekly Pat with Puck segment. Today, we're breaking down and dissecting last week's guest, Joe Biscali's recent top 20 Buffalo Bills talent list. We also discussed the odds that Vegas has on the Bills making the playoffs, which way we would bet, and more. Oh, and I also surprised Pucks with a little mini lightning round, something I usually do with each podcast's featured guest. That's kind of fun. So yeah, this is a packed podcast today. Not going to waste any more time. Let's just get right into it. Here's my interview with Hoops legend Kenny Anderson, followed by some Pat with Pucks. My guest today was one of the best high school and college pure point guards to ever play basketball. 
He was the second overall pick in the 1991 NBA draft and played in the NBA for over 14 years. There's also a documentary out about him called Mr. Chibs, a very raw and emotional look at his successes on the court and the struggles he's had to deal with off it. I'm talking about one of my personal favorite players ever, Kenny Anderson. What's going on, Kenny? How you feeling? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, trust me, man. The pleasure is definitely all mine. And we're going to talk about the documentary a little bit later and how fans can see it. And I'll reference it a few times throughout as we talk. But let's go back to the start, okay? You hear the word prodigy get thrown around there all the time. It gets thrown out all the time. And I really hate how overused that term is. But you really were a basketball prodigy. I mean, from the time you touched the basketball in Queens, New York, it was obvious to everyone and anyone around you that you had this basketball gift. Who were a few of your first basketball heroes that you could remember when you first picked up the ball and started playing? Who'd you want to be like? Well, I really didn't want to be like anybody. I just, my sister used to take me down to the park when I was six years old. That was That's how she babysitted me. So I just threw the ball at the basket. I always had a knack for dribbling. You know, I was a very skilled dribbler at a young age and, I just, as time went on, I got better and better. About eight, nine years old, I met my mentor, Vincent Smith, and he just, he taught me how to play the game the right way. Um, you know, if I had to say who I wanted to be like, it's probably Kenny Smith because I was able to touch him because of Vincent Smith. He, you know, he went to Archbishop Malloy High School. I wanted to go to Malloy because he went there. Um, you know, um, I was I was leaning towards going to UNC. North Carolina, like like he did, but you know I didn't do that. Went to Georgia Tech, but um, I I, I just really just had, had a joy of playing basketball. That was like my outlet, you know, for what, how my life was at the time growing up in Left Rack City. New York City is such a breeding ground for amazing point guards. What is it about New York that's produced through the years so many legendary point guards? Back in the day, the playground was really the big thing. I think we all picked up our craft on the streets of New York and the playgrounds. Every borough in New York, in the summertime, the parks are filled with with skilled players. And um, that's where we get our edge. And, and, And that's what it's all about in New York, playgrounds. Now you mentioned this. You go to Powerhouse Archbishop Malloy, and you're kind of already the man there right from the start. You know, you're already starting to get recruited and stuff like that before you even actually get to high school. As a kid, is that a heavy burden for you to carry, being regarded as such a, you know, a blue chip prospect? Because you're so young and, you know, recruiters and probably, you know, everyone else around is probably trying to get their hands on you to some extent. Yeah, well, I had a great supporting uh, team when I was in high school. My, my mentor, like I said, Vincent Smith, Jack Curran, um, Pierre Turner, my, my high school coach, Jack Curran, never gave me all my letters. I couldn't, I didn't get all my letters until my junior year. And it was, he had a big, big, big box at his office full with all my college offers. And um, he didn't give them to me until my junior year. So, you know, as a freshman, I played on the varsity team, but I never, because it was a senior ahead of me, um, I never started. You know, Coach Curran said, you know, since you, you're, you're very good, you're very talented, and you're able to make this varsity team as a freshman, you will not play the first quarter because I want my senior guard 
to maybe get some looks or what you know wow. in that nature. So it always, you know, from the from the start, I was always humble. I, I just Coach Curry just, you know, the uh, just just, you know, raised me, you know, as far as the game of basketball and the culture. The culture that we had at Malloy was is very good for me. Now by your senior year, you've become the consensus number one prospect in the country. And that's a class, by the way, that includes Shaquille O'Neal, which everyone knows about. You mentioned this. You choose to go to Georgia Tech. Now, watching your documentary, and again, we're going to reference that a few times, it's revealed that your mom had a lot to do with that decision to go to Georgia Tech. You were leaning towards Syracuse and, you know, also Duke and North Carolina or other schools you consider, many schools that were recruiting you. What was that process like for you, that recruitment process? And what was it about Syracuse that attracted you to potentially go there? And what was it about Georgia Tech that had you interested in them in the first place? Yeah, the recruiting thing. I was a different type of kid. You know, I was the number one recruit throughout my high school career. So, so I really didn't really, I wanted to get it over with. I, I, I really didn't want to go travel all over the place. And like some of these kids now, they want to take 10, you know, I don't know how many visits you could have. I only took two visits. I went to Syracuse and Atlanta. Uh, Georgia Tech, excuse me. So I, you know, I always loved Syracuse because of Pearl Washington. He was a New York great, mm-hmm. and it was in the, and it was um, in the Big East, and it, it was just I thought it was an awesome program. I wanted to go there, but my mother really wanted me to go to Georgia Tech because Coach Crimmins really recruited him, recruited recruited her. He's from the Bronx, you know. We she's you know we're from New York, so he just was a uh, a great a great coach. But also um, Atlanta, I fell in love with Atlanta, and um, I, if my mother, my mother said, "I want you to go to Georgia Tech," and um, you know, I, I, I was a mama's boy, so um, you know, I uh, chose Georgia Tech, and it all worked out for me. Oh. It worked out great. It sure did, and we'll talk about the basketball portion of that in a second. But you know, as a New York City born and raised kid, how much of it was a culture change for you going down to Georgia to go to college? How much of an adjustment was it for you? It was the first time I'm away from home, and I know I have to stay there for at least a year. Um, it was, a, it was, um, you know, I was homesick the first month, you know, a month and a half. I didn't know, you know, you know, Dennis Scott, you know, welcomed me, and my team welcomed me, and they just told me to hang in there. When the season starts, you know, things will change, and it, it changed so much. And that's when I started, you know, getting comfortable with just being away from New York and playing in, and being in Atlanta and, um, you know, just being in college. So it was an adjustment period for me. As a freshman point guard, you lead Georgia Tech to ACC title. You, and as you mentioned, Dennis Scott and Brian Oliver, you guys formed what fans were calling Lethal Weapon 3. You get to the NCAA tournament, you know, and you guys, you get the better of Shaq and you guys beat LSU. And ultimately, you reach the Final Four before falling to UNLV, who many consider, you know, one of the best college teams of that era or any era for that matter. What was it like for you as a freshman being in that kind of spotlight, you know, a national spotlight. It was, it was easy because I was always four years in New York. In New York, was always looked upon as you know the guy, the, 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 the star. Mm-hmm. You know, New York Daily News, Street and Smith. I was in magazines my whole career, and um, you know, playing in the Final Four as a freshman. It was it was sort of like all over again. Playing, I played in the city championship as a freshman in high school and won the MVP, you know, um, in the city championship as a, you know, 15-year-old. 
And so it, 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 it all, it, it was just, it wasn't new to me. So my pores and my, 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 you know, my, um, there wasn't no pressure. I just went out and enjoyed myself, you know, kept a level head and just played the game that I love. And that was basketball. How close did you feel you guys were to beating UNLV in that final four? We was very, we was very close. I got in foul trouble. And when I got in foul trouble, that's when they made their little run. When I got back in the game, they, they went up about eight to 10 points. We couldn't really, we couldn't close the deal, but um, it was a very good game. We was up at halftime and, um, you know, um, we felt we could play with them, you know, because the style of play we had. And, um, you know, we did, and um, it was a great game. They were a great team. You want to know, we did a great day. We had a deep team with Larry Johnson, Greg, um, Greg Anthony, and Stacey Augman. You know, it, it was a lot, I'll tell you, it was a lot of pros on that court that night, yeah, you know, with, with those three. The, he did it, Scott, Brian Oliver. It's yeah. like eight, six, seven, eight pros. So, you know, you, you had to bring it, but it was exciting. The next year, following year as a sophomore, you know, your lethal three teammates are gone. It's pretty yeah. much just you at that point. You have a great season. GT makes mm-hmm. the tourney again, but you guys lose to Ohio State in the second round. Following mm-hmm. that, not long after, you announce you're going to enter the 91 NBA draft. So you leave school after two seasons. Referring back to the Mr. Chibs documentary, you said that you didn't necessarily want to leave school, that you wanted to stay for another year. But knowing that you were going to be a top three pick in the draft, it would have been insane for you to not go pro. Is that a decision? And again, it's easy to have hindsight so many years later. But is that a decision that sometimes you regret? Like, you know, you say to yourself, man, I wish I would have stayed in school one more year. No, everything worked out. I just at the time my motion fit in. You know, my two years was the best two years. My six years of playing basketball, four years at Malloy and, um, Two years, you know, I told the tank was the best six years of my life playing basketball, and um, I just I didn't want to leave. I wasn't, you know, I, we fear what we don't know on the on the other side. I know I was talented. I know I was going to one day be in the NBA, but right. I didn't know. I didn't. I wasn't in no rush. You know what I mean? I was enjoying myself in college, and um, I didn't need anything at the time. So I, I just, you know, I, I just was comfortable. That's why my 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 media when i when i did my media to the to the at georgia tech when i decided to come out it was very emotion very emotional for me i remember because, that um, yeah because i um you know i love georgia tech so much and i love the um, environment i love the people down there it was just a great time for me now in the draft larry johnson goes one overall to charlotte you go number two overall to the nets of course that's basically you know right around the corner from your childhood Billy Owens goes three overall to Sacramento. Two-part question here. At the time, what was your feeling getting drafted by New Jersey? And two, and again, I'm referring, as I have and will continue to, to the Mr. Chibs documentary. A friend of yours says he wishes you would have been taken three by Sacramento because maybe, you know, you would have been better off being away in another part of the country, which is essentially another part of the world for you, instead of, you know, the New York, New Jersey area where pretty much everyone knows you and you know everything yeah. about it already. Do you know what I'm saying? What were your thoughts yeah. at that time first? That's the first part. Oh, I was excited. You know what I mean? I'm a metropolitan, you know, guy. I come from New York and go to New Jersey. I was able to see my mother every day. I was able to see my high school coach or my friends friend could come watch me play. So at, at the time it, it, it wasn't no problem. You know, um, you know, uh, you know, everybody got their own opinions of 
hey, he's a New Yorker kid. He grew up. He was the guy here. Maybe he should go away. But, um, you know, I was I was happy with the move going to New Jersey. Be that as it may, in year two with New Jersey, you become a full-time starter. And by your third year, you're not one of the best point guards in the NBA. You yeah. average 18.8 points, 9.6 assists per game, and you're named to the all-star team. You and Derek Coleman are the star of those New Jersey teams. Well, first, what was it like playing with D.C. in New Jersey? Oh, it was awesome. He's the best player I ever played with. My lab's just talking so I'm talking about talent and can do it all. He's the best player I ever played with. Playing with Drive and Petrick was awesome. I just wish we would have had more time and I wish we would have had a more stable organization. You know, everybody say what you want to say, but at the time New Jersey had like seven owners, um, coaches was in and out. There just wasn't no stability. And then Drive and Petrovic, you know, gets in a car crash and yeah. just was it just we was rolling, man. We was about to become something, you know, become something. And it just didn't happen. But um, it was a very, it was great playing with those guys. Emotionally, how was that having to overcome something like that? A teammate, you know, succumbing to a car crash. It had to be a very emotional time for you and the organization. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, a real, real tragedy, man. The guy drives it, you know, left too soon. Um, he was a great player. Just wanted to belong. One of the, one of the first European players to come over here and make a niche, make a name for itself. And um, he was an awesome person, an awesome shooter, and just a hard worker, um, just a great guy all, all the time. You know, every time I, you know, I got his T-shirts, I got his hats, I got it, you know, just see him every day. I'm just like, wow, man, you know, what if, you know, he would have lived. Right. So in 96, you're part of a four-player trade, features you and Kendall Gill switching teams. You end up getting dealt to Charlotte. Did you expect the trade at the time, or what were your thoughts then? Yeah, I was, that's what I did. You know, I got you know, I hired David Fall. You know, I needed a trade because Derek Derek Coleman with the Philly driving was. I was on the island by myself. My my free agency was coming up also. Right. So, um, you know, Muggsy Bones was injured, so I came in. Charlotte took over that that uh that team. You know, point guard for the whole year. I thought they was going to re-sign me, but they just didn't want to pay me. They didn't want to pay no. They didn't want no big. Money contracts because they had just they was given that's when Larry Johnson had the hundred million dollar contract. Right. Um so they didn't want to pay me. So, you know, I, I got picked up by Portland. Portland Trailblazers gave me my deal. I was gonna say after that you signed with Portland. You spent two years there. In ninety six you have a really good season. You averaged seventeen five and seven one. What were your reasons for going to Portland? You know what was what did you think of your time there? Oh, I was great. Loved it. North Pacific beautiful man of uh, fans it was more you know um because i went to you know charlotte was solid new jersey was as unstable organization. but when i went to portland i thought that that was like oh you know paul allen one of the best owners in the league takes care of the team it was more stable um you know i, I, I went into a new arena the rose garden we opened it up you know uh it just was a great um a great time for me um the fans is, is great up there this, it was, I was excited to just, you know, you know, add another chapter in my life. In 98, you were part of a huge trade between Portland and Toronto. But you didn't report to Toronto because you didn't want to play in Canada. Now, mind you, this is 20 years ago, too. What was your mindset at that time that you didn't want to go to Toronto? You no, know, I didn't want to go for tax reasons. It was, it was back then, that's all. we had like 20-something games. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to double my taxes. It was a business decision. Okay. So I just said, I don't, I'll just sit. You know, I'll sit out if I have to, 
And that's when Boston came into the picture. It was just only on taxes. It was a business decision. Well, it had nothing to do with playing or anything. Nobody knows that. Okay. Nobody knew that. But, um, you know, I, I was great. I was thankful that uh, Boston came in and, and brought me to, to Boston. It was uh, four five of the best years. You know, far as loving to play for the Celtics, right. being on a tradition, that, that tradition, two of the years we lost, and then the last three we played pretty well. And then my last year with them, we went to the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, we lost to New Jersey. So I had a ball playing for the Celtics. It's a great city for sports. And, um, you know, Boston is so close to New York. So I was able to get back and forth at home, see my mother. So it just was a great situation for me in Boston. Sure. And you spent parts of five seasons there. And, you know, your minutes start to go down a little bit, but you still have a very valuable role in that team. And you mentioned it in 2002, Boston makes it to the Eastern Conference Final and you lose to New Jersey. And then they got swept by the Lakers in the finals. Yeah. That was that went on to be the only, you know, the only time in your NBA career where you were on a team that got past that first round. So here's my question. Yeah. Do fans, and especially young players today, do they, do they take it for granted that, you know, getting to a certain point in the playoffs is a given? You know what I mean? It's easy to take something like that for granted. It's hard. No, it's very hard. You got to... You got to take advantage of the moment because you you will not get it back. I played 14 years on went deep into the playoff one year, so the lead is very competitive, and uh, you just got to take advantage of it. So you know, I was excited. You know, I went to the playoffs with the Nets, went to the playoffs with Portland, and went to the playoffs with the Celtics. So I had my shots, but sometimes you just don't be on it. You just don't have a team. Now basketball is a team. You have to have you know two, three, four guys willing to the whole team willing to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. To, to win it, to win a championship. So it's uh, it, it just was an awesome run for me to play in the NBA for 14 years, and um, you know I enjoyed it. I had Rod Strickland on the podcast not too long ago, and he had a career similar to yours in that you know highly touted prospect, first round pick. I mean, you went second overall though, and you guys had both long careers where you guys were the man at one time. And then in the back end of your career, like most guys, yeah. you know, you adjust, you become a reserve. How, how is it when you know, or I should say, when do you know that your body just, it gets old, whether you want it to or not. I don't want to say old, you know what I mean? But you slow down a little yeah, bit physically. You're not 21, 22 years old anymore. How hard is it to adjust when it gets to that point in your life and your career? It is very hard. And that means you have to work extremely harder just to maintain, just to be out there for 15, 20 minutes, maybe even 10 minutes, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, some of the moves that I used to do and my speed, I used to get by people and finish. I started losing that, you know what I mean? The speed and some of my moves were slower. And I just, you know, I, I just didn't, you know, I was like, whoa, you know, it was time for me to do something else. So at the end of the day, you played in over 850 NBA games, man. You spent Mm -hmm. a good seven or eight years of your career as one of the better point guards in the NBA. How do you feel in terms of basketball when you look back at it all? All great. All great. I know what I did for the game of basketball. And it ain't too many people. I don't know how many, you know, uh, did it. High school, college, and then pro. Right. And at playgrounds. I, I don't know how many people and that's why when you call me, I am a I'm I was a prodigy. I was a child prodigy. But yeah. I did it continuously on every level. Holly was an all star. You, you get all making the NBA all star in the league is very difficult. 
being an All-American in college is not easy. Being a four-time All-City player, only two guys have done it, me and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar out of high school. There's nothing basketball, like I say, my slogan, basketball has been easy to me. Life is life is hard, you know what I mean? So I cannot disrespect the game of basketball. It gave me everything, gave me my mother a, a great life. And it, it's been great to me. I, I can't complain. Some of the things, you go to ups and downs and struggles with the game. and with, Hey, that's life. You get back up, you dust yourself off, and you figure out a solution, and you work harder, and you try to you know, get back on your game. And that's just how life is. And, and, and that's just how it is. You know, my mother used to say, you know, life is not fair. But, you know, she used another slang. She said, life ain't fair, but hope and keep it moving. You know what I mean? That's what she's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. She's like, that's, that's life. Ain't no need to complain, you know? You know, so, you know, ain't nothing. I, I had a great time playing in the NBA, great time playing in high school and college. Basketball has been awesome to me. I love it. I love the game. Well, I'd be foolish to have a hoops legend on this podcast and not get your take on a few current NBA things. So let me ask you this first. I'm going to ask you this question. I'm sure you've probably heard it a million times. You'll hear it a million more, so don't worry about that. MJ or LeBron, man, who's the best? I'm just going to go with um, Michael Jordan. You know, final six times, six, you know, six swings. Just the mental aspect, his mental towards the game. They're different type of players, LeBron and Jordan. Um, it's just, you know, he's great. Just, just admire the greatness. I'm just tired of answering that question. It, I hear you know, you. who's better, who's that. Just enjoy the greatness. You know, far as numbers-wise, maybe even as far as numbers, at the end of the day, LeBron's probably going to kill everybody numbers because of longevity and what he's doing right now. So it, it, it really doesn't matter. These guys are just great. Just enjoy it. Perfect answer there. What's your take on a team like Golden State now, Miami a handful of years ago and such, these uh, quote-unquote super teams that are formed, you know, where some of the league's best players try to form their own unbeatable team. What's your thought on that? Do you have a problem with that, or are you good with the way things are? No, things moving around, you know. Thank God these players nowadays with the the um, free agencies, they're able to move around. They got more freedom, so God bless them. If they want to play, make it easy for them to get a ring, so be it. But um, you know, it's uh, Golden State has a great team, man. Four, five. Now they got five All Stars on one team. Well, they're gonna be very difficult to beat, you know. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Well, I mean, you're a guy. You played in the era, you know, the Michael Jordan Bulls when they were at their peak, and you see uphand, firsthand, Golden State, what they are now. What kind of matchup would that be if they were to play each other? And I know it's hard to envision that, but what's your thoughts? It's a pick. It depends on the era and the rules. It's easy, you know. I, I think that, that nowadays that the, the, the Golden State probably run circles around uh, Chicago, but in our era where you can hold and physical basketball, Golden State probably wouldn't be able to, you know, be able to win like that. And and, and so it's different era. The league is a lot different. They're like it's a little softer, you ask me. You know what I mean? You get you get a little little more leeway. You kind of free to roam around the court. And back when I played, it wasn't like that. You're a point guard guy, man. Who are a few of your favorite point guards out there today? Well, I like Kyrie. I like Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, Damian Lillard, um, 
true holiday. Man, there's some great point guards out there in the league, man. I, I'm a fan. I just love watching the game. But it, it's, a, it's some great point guards. Okay, so I mentioned it a couple times throughout. Last year, a documentary is released called Mr. Chibs, which, by the way, that's a nickname that your mom gave you. It documents your rise in basketball, and I just watched it, by the way, over the weekend. It was incredible. Thank it, you. It, Thank it, it documents your rise in basketball and, you know, your triumphs and your struggles off the court. I don't want to get into many specifics of it because I think it's really important for people who are fans of the history of basketball and just want to learn some things about hoops in real life that this is a documentary they really need to see. I will say this, though. You know, it's about so much more than just your hoops career. It's about your life, your mother, the struggles you had growing up, you know, the things you've had to endure. It's about uh, depression, you know, partying, relationships that didn't work out, uh, strained relationships with your children, struggles on those kind of things, all kinds of, you know, very deep emotional things. And this thing runs for an hour and a half. What was it like for you having this documentary done? You know, kind of undressing yourself for the world to be able to see. Oh man, I wanted to get it out there. I just thought it was it was a documentary phase. Everybody makes up. I said to my friends and people like, "Hey man, you got a great story. You know what I mean? You should tell it." So you know, Jill Campbell, my director, uh, Barry Greenstein, uh, invested his money in my story. That you got. Jill was great. She shadowed me for about four years. Um, but we, we wanted to be different. We, we just didn't want to just talk about basketball, basketball, basketball. Right. I wanted to, I wanted to hit things and what people go through in life, regardless if they're superstars or millionaires, billionaires, whatever they have, we have issues. And, um, you know, I want to, you know, I want to hit some of those issues that I did. And, um, it was like, you know, I want to sacrifice myself to help others. And that's all I did. If my mother was living, I don't know if I would have done the documentary. Maybe I would have spun it differently, but I, you know, I don't know if I would have done it. So it, it was um, very emotional, you know, when, when, when I watched it. And, um, you know, it's just, I just think it's a great documentary for life lessons and, uh, you know, what people go through, especially being in the NBA and being a, number, a child prodigy, all the obstacles I had to overcome, you know, and, um, you still, what's great about it is my life is, it's no ending. Just the documentary is like, I'm down here in Florida, living a productive life, raising my son, my daughter, you know, my third wife, and we're all right. We're living pretty good. You know, through after all the, the drama and everything that I've been through, you still can live a productive life if you, you conduct yourself well and you just, you know, you have a plan. Yeah. I mean, look, it's no powder puff piece. You know what I mean? It's real life. It shows a lot of the good. You know, I love the basketball parts, by the way, going back and footage with you in high school, you know, in college yeah. and stuff like that. I also enjoyed your visit with uh, Bobby Hurley at Arizona. That was, I, I said, yeah. I, yeah. I don't want to be giving away too many spoilers here, but I also, yeah. even more so, I really appreciate that you weren't afraid to have it dug in deep, you know, and kind of unbear yeah. yourself to, to the struggles, frankly, you know, that you've went through with your life. Yeah. Was it hard at times even though you've lived this life, so you know what's coming, but is it hard at times seeing that finished product there? Yeah, it was hard. I didn't know. I wasn't sure how the people take it, but I, I said, I'm just going to, you know, we just didn't want to be vanilla. We didn't want to not tell the truth. So I wanted to tell the truth. You know, this is who I am. Bear it all and just say, hey, man, maybe some of you, you know, young athletes or whoever, you may be going through the same thing. 
know, don't give up. Just keep, you know, pursuing your goals and your dreams. And, and if I can make it, you can make it, you know. And um, that's the, that's, like I said, I wanted to sacrifice myself to, to help others, you know. Um, it was just a lot of things that um, that was in the way that I let that I did not let discourage me. I just kept going, and, and, and I made it. What was the reception like on the documentary among like your peers, your friends, and such? Oh, but it was it was once you know Lethal Weapon Three came, <laughs> Coach Crimmins, Brian Oliver, Dennis Scott, all my friends to the premiere. It opened up in uh, Doc NYC. And when I, after that, when they came, Coach said, Coach Kuhn said, this is awesome. I said, wow. He said, man, you opened up. Like, this is great. He said, everybody should see this. You know, <laughs> this is great. And that's when I knew I had something good. You know, I just said, this is good. I did a good thing. And that's, that's what get that, that night. So I did a good thing. I'll tell you what, I was moved. I remember you going yeah. back to when you were in high school. I'm around the same yeah. age as you. I grew up upstate in Buffalo, New York. Like you, I actually live in Florida now, too. So you know what I mean? I remember your career, the good parts. I, You know what I mean? To be able yeah. to have your soul bared like that and see everything. And just, it did. It really moved me. And there's a lot of ways people could see this documentary. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. Or really everyone, get, everyone go to mrchibs.com. That's got information about that, the cast, everything in there. So I'm going to put all that stuff in the notes as well. Yeah, thank you. Every interview I do, okay, Kenny, I like to end it the same way. I have a little mini lightning round. I'm just going to ask mm-hmm. you a handful of random questions. Not a lot mm-hmm. of deep thought required. Whatever first thing that pops in your head, just let it out. All right, cool? Yeah. All right. Who's your toughest opponent in basketball? Myself. Who are one or two of your favorite teammates? Uh, Dennis Scott, Brian Oliver. Okay. Name one former player that you wish you could have played alongside with, but never got the chance to. Michael Jordan. What's your favorite NBA memory? Um, being drafted number two that night, draft night. Um, when they called my name in the, in the Madison Square Garden, where I'm from, New York, that's where the draft was at. And they called my name. And when I walked out there, everybody was going crazy. It was exciting being picked the number two in the 1991 draft. You know what? I got a couple more questions, but I want to branch off that. I should have asked you this before. What was it like that, say, 24 hours before the draft? I mean, you know you're going high. That's not a secret. But just when it starts to sink in on you, you know what I mean? What mine was awesome. I walked right over. You know, after after deciding to come out second year, I, 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 left, I left Atlanta uh, at least a month before two months and I moved into the city. I used to live on 48th and 8th in um, the plaza. That was the name of the building. It was like down the block from Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, that whole 24 hours was just, it was, it was nerve wracking. It was excitement, but it's nerve wracking because you, you want to know what team you're going to. You know, I knew I was going to be least top five picks. Right. I wasn't going to drop. I was going to be number one to five. Giorgio Armani, you know, on Madison Avenue. Every time I walked past them, you know, they they made my suit. And I went in there and had a great afternoon there with them. at champagne, lunch, all that. That stuff I remember. You know what I mean? So when I see that draft picture, that was like I was in Giorgio Armani. So it was, it, was, it, was, it was great. It was a great night for me. Okay. Last couple of questions here. What's your favorite city to visit? Wow. Ooh, that's a tough one. I 
because I, I live in Florida now, so I go back home. I love my city. I love New York. But L.A. is up there, too. I love L.A. and New York for visiting. Okay. I love visiting L.A., yeah, L.A. and New York. All right, second last question here. You're semi-active on Twitter. So if Twitter were to send you a message and, and said, hey, man, Kenny, we're only going to allow you to follow one person for now on on Twitter, and one person only, who would it probably be? Wow, that's a tough one, bro. <laughs> wow. That's a tough one. But um, my guy, I forgot my guy, um, Roger Times. He's uh, out of Louisiana. It's my guy. I got to follow him. Okay. Last question here. You could have three dinner guests from any era, man, dead or alive, break some bread, have a glass of wine, whatever. Who would it be? Any three people from any era. I'm going with my, my man, Tiny Archibald. I'm liking him like my idol. He was on Tiny the dock, Archibald. by the way. For fans out yeah, there, he's Tiny in the dock. Archibald. I would invite Michael Jordan. And then I would uh, invite us. Uh, wow. Um, and I bring, and I, I'm going to bring my two sidekicks along that I love playing against. Um, excuse me. That I love playing with in college. To my boys. I'm just going to, I'm squeeze. I'm, I'm getting the extra. <laughs> you uh, get that I'm getting the extra. It, uh, yeah. So I'm bringing Dennis and Brian in with me, man. We have fun when we hang out. We have fun when we hang out. All right. I'll let you slide. I'll let you have that extra. Let me slide, man. All right. Yeah. All right, Kenny. Listen, this was a great throw for me. You know, yeah. people say shit all the time when they have cool guests on, but. This is truly one I've been looking forward to for a long time. Awesome. So awesome. I, I hope the best for you, man. Continue success. Thank you so much awesome. for your time. Awesome, man. I had a great time on here. And uh, God bless you, man. And um, make sure everybody go out. They don't even got to go. It's so easy. It's on Amazon. Mr. Chibs, the documentary, Kitty Anderson's story. Check it out. It's, it's great. Pat with Pucks. All right, I'm joined by Tone Pucks, Pat with Pucks again. I had Joe B on the podcast last Thursday. I know you're a pretty big fan of Joe. What did you think? What do you think of Joe B? Where do you rank Joe B among your favorite Bills reporters? So, man, was a great question. Putting you right on Um, the spot, right on the spot, baby. Dude, I, I mean, he 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 brings it to me in a way that um, just resonates. I I think, and I and he's done it long enough. I, I think he's at the top. I think he's no. I think he's number one, man. I mean, there ain't a thing the dude puts out there that um, that I ain't trying to sink my teeth into. And and his, I've said this before. I'll say it. You know, I'll say it many times again. His. His college, you know, 4.0 grading system for the season is just so innovative. I just, I love it. I never went to college, man. I don't even know, you know, I never even got a grade like that. So I, I barely even know what they represent uh, from from days past. But you know, the way he the way he he grades it is so innovative. And and I know we'll uh, we'll talk about his top 20, and he puts it out there. Uh, at a great time of year when things are a little bit slow and 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 the way too early, you know, fifty three uh, man projections, they're they're just 
they're must reads, man. They're they're he's 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 at the top. <laughs> he's just at the top. You know what? I <laughs> I try to keep quiet on these type of things because again, you know, I have all types of guests on this show and I appreciate them all and I really like them all, but you know what? I, I got to call it too. I agree with you. I think he's number one. I think he does more things better than anyone else. And you know, for an example, Sal Capaccio at WGR is such a good reporter. And what I love about Sal more than anyone else right now is he has a different perspective because he's on the sideline for the games. That gives him a better perspective than anyone in the press box. You know what I mean? He's in the locker room. He has the pulse of that team as good or better than anyone else. You take a guy like Vic Carucci. He's just a great reporter with still a ton of sources. Jay Skursky and uh, Matt Fairborn, two really, really good reporters who are still, their game is still on the rise. You know what I mean? They're good reporters. I like Mike Rodak from ESPN because he's not only a good reporter, but he has complete, unbiased, doesn't give a shit if the Bills are good or bad. I know a lot of Buffalo reporters say that they don't care, and I might believe them to a certain degree, but trust me when I tell you, Mike Rodak does not care if the Bills are good or not. I promise you that much. But anyway, they're all really good, and I know I'm leaving out some other people too as well, but Joe just does things. He combines everything better, I think, than anyone else. I've said this too. When, he, when the Bills signed somebody, his article's the first thing I do. You know what? There's two things. One of them's gone now. When it comes to the Buffalo Bills, there's two things I've done religiously. Number one, whenever Jerry Sullivan had a column, I read it. I didn't care who it was about, whether it was positive, negative. I might have hated the article. I might have tweeted at him saying that he sucked and that just shit was whack or whatever. But you know what? I've read it every single time he wrote it. The other thing, when something happens with the Bills, what uh, they sign someone, they trade for someone, they cut someone, whatever it may be, Joe B always writes something and then he has Joe B's take. I skipped through the part where the Bills signed X guy, you know, he played yeah. here, his stats are this, his contract is this, because I don't give a shit. I can get at that in a tweet in a 280 characters from nine people at the same time. I don't care about that. I want analysis. And I think what Joe is the master of doing is telling me, where does this guy fit in? You know what I mean? Where's his spot on this roster? What's his fit on this team? He does that in everything he does. And that I think he does better than anyone else out there. We're not Joe P of, or Joe B official endorsers out there, but this kind no, of is, well, you know, after if having, I gotta, one, go ahead. If, 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 if I, if I have to put that to bed at all, I will say this. Um, I am looking for because I, I don't really bother much during the offseason. I am looking for a, a a step up on the TV side, you know, a little little stiff last year. So, I, you know, I think when we talk about him, we're talking about his online um, content, which and podcasting and podcasting, which, you know, quite frankly, we could still be getting if he was, you know, if he was on the radio, he made a television jump. Right. And um, and, you know, is is he going to is he going to go the way of a a, uh, a Murph or a, or a Van Miller or, you know, Kilgore? You know, what's what what is what's he going to become there 
um, is still certainly the story is still to be told. And and I pay attention to that stuff just because I, I take interest in in all facets of the uh, um, of the media. So I, I hope he's, you know, uh, I hope he's, you know, comfortable in his uh, in his television role this year because, you know, that's an area of improvement. So, you know, just so just 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 to balance it out a little bit. Hey, so it's, hey. not a, it's not a complete uh, Joe B. Love Fest here. You know what I mean? This is not a kiss-ass podcast, so, you know, you got a critique of someone long as constructive and honest. I'm sure him or anyone doesn't mind that kind of type of, you know, constructive analysis or criticism at all. Here's the reason why I bring up Joe, though. Number one, because I was obviously pumped to have him on the podcast this past Thursday. That's a huge score for this podcast, and for me personally, he's one of those handful of guys that I really wanted to have on from the very beginning. But beyond that, I wanted to use it as a talking point for this segment because every year, you know, he does his Joe B's top 20. Yeah, Joe B's top 20 Bills talents of 2018. I'm going to run these down to you. I'm going to run them down. First, we'll go 20 to 11, and then we'll go 10 to 1. And give me a couple thoughts on each group. Maybe there's a guy that you wouldn't have there or just the overall, you know, thoughts that you have on that group as a whole. So that's how we'll do this. All right, let me start with 20 and I'll go to 11 first and then I'll turn it over to you. He's got, and again, this is his top 20 Bills talents of 2018. This isn't necessarily the 20 most accomplished players or the 20 players that have the highest ceiling or anything. Just his top 20 Bills talents. So 20, Lorenzo Alexander. 19, rookie Harrison Phillips. 18, Shaq Lawson. 17, Stephen Hoshka. 16, Vontae Davis, 15, Charles Clay, 14, Zay Jones, 13, Star, Luodalele. God, I hate pronouncing that dude's name. I'm going to have to fucking learn that better. 12, Trent Murphy, 11, Josh Allen. There's 20 through 11. Anything stick out to you right there? Besides the fact I cannot announce Star's last name correctly. Yeah, I don't think you got that right. Yeah, I'm not going to um, Harrison Phillips uh, I, was a bit of a surprise. Um, you know, here's a guy. Now, I, I know the concept here, okay? And, and I knew, of course, that I was going to see Josh Allen uh, in this. And, and, you know, not to give away 10 through 1 here, but, you know, Tremaine Edmonds as well. But, you know, a third-round rotational uh, defensive tackle, at 19 before before ever playing a snap bit of a surprise obviously it says um you know that he thinks highly of him you put him right next to uh to Shaq Lawson and and now you've got you know a guy that was drafted in uh uh in the first half of the first round and you know the latter half of the third you know running neck and neck in this you know, it's going to be interesting to see that play out. Uh, I like the inclusion of Vontae Davis. Uh, you know, I mean, it was it was obviously thorough in that regard. Had no problem with uh, with throwing the kicker in there. And I like that, um, you know, without even really referencing this or thinking about this, when I brought this up, you know, previously uh, about how I think some are underestimating the, the Bills' um, wide receiver core, yeah, I like that Zay Jones ha- has a nice number in this because I think he's a pretty damn talented kid. So, 
you know, it was it was it was always fun to uh, to start to check it out. And eleven through twenty, I, I felt was uh, made for a lot of good talking points. Well, it's definitely made for good talking points. My one real takeaway from this list, twenty through eleven, is I think this is perfectly symbolic of why most people think this team's going to win between four to six games this year. These are not very good players, at least a lot of them. Shouldn't be a top 20 on a on a good football team. I mean, you go from the start. Lorenzo Alexander, okay, I could see him on there. He's old, but, you know, he still makes plays. Then you got a rookie who, he's a 96th pick of the draft, and he's already one of your top 19 most talented players. That shouldn't happen. I don't think that should happen. Jack Lawson, He's he's almost a he's almost a bust at this point. He might get cut if he don't have a good camp. Hoshka's fine. He's a kicker. Monte Davis, yeah, he's had a good career. He's been hurt. See what happens. I'm okay with that. You know, Charles Clay, it's been all right. Zay Jones, yeah, he's got talent. All right. To be fair, it's a talent thing. I haven't seen much of that talent. In fact, I've barely seen any of it. Then you got the two new uh defensive line guys who they spent a lot of money for, by the way. Those kind of felt like contracts that should warrant guys who are top 10 players on your team. They weren't. And then the quarterback, I get that. You know, the jury's out on him and it's going to be out on him for a couple of years. So generally speaking, I look at that, that collection of 10 players and I'm like, well, you know, these are 10 of your 20 best players. Now I know why a lot of national people look at the bills and say, you know what? This team's going to suck this year. I like your uh, I like your way of looking at it. I don't like you know the conclusion that you drew from it, and I don't know that it's right. But I I, I like that you at least uh, you know that it that it prompted some sort of well uh, conceived thought. And now time will tell. I think you know the exercise might be not that I have the uh, I was going to say time or patience, but that's like incorrect because I definitely have the time to do this. I'd probably have the time to do it, you know, for every other team in the NFL. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just not gonna, you know, what does other teams top 20 look like and where do the wins and losses come from? Do they come, you know, through through 20, you know, or or do they come at one through 10? Where does the quarterback have to, you know, have to slide? How many um, of your top 20 are, you know, potential talent. You know what I mean? Like how much are other teams relying on, True. You, you know, a Tr- Tremaine Edmonds, Josh Allen, and Harrison Phillips, you know, that sort of thing. That's, so, a, that's solid. Um, You're right. Okay, you know, I, I'm going to give you that. I'm, something like that. But, you know, I mean, like I said, I, like I think we both uh, said and talked about and um, ad nauseum at the start of this thing, it's an awesome, awesome freaking, you know, ex- exercise to to do. It's just, it's great work and it, and it prompts great conversation. Well, let's continue now. Let's do 10 through one. 10, he's got Tremaine Edmonds. Nine, Kyle Williams. Eight, Deion Dawkins. Seven, Kelvin Benjamin. Six, Matt Milano. Five, <coughs> bullshit. Five, Jerry Hughes. Four, Jordan Poyer, three, Shady, LaShawn McCoy, two, Micah Hyde, and the number one top Bills talent of 2018 on Joe B's list was Tredavious White. What do you got there? Loved the 
choice of Trey White at uh, at one. I I think I'm putting Shady at two, even with the uh, a lot of wear on the tires. I, I think you know you've got one. You know, uh, I don't want to say surefire, but you've got one Hall of Fame candidate on this roster who is still, um, while maybe past his prime, but still contributing at a very high level. You know, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna, I don't think I'm gonna put my uh, uh, as good as I, as good as I like uh, Micah Hyde. I, I don't think I'm putting one year uh, uh, safety in front of him. So I think I I think I'd go Trey uh, and then Lashawn. Hyde and Poyer are are interesting. Boy, I I love them both. I I I just I love the position on the football field, but I don't know, uh, you, you know who's who's the better of those two players. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be real fun to watch them together. I think maybe I I, I might side with the guy that uh, you know that makes more plays. But Jesus, who the hell is that? I mean, who is that? You know, they both make plays. They they catch, you know, uh, interceptions that hit their hands. You know, they 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 have terrific run after uh, run after interceptions. That's just so close and and so much fun. I could talk about those two all fucking day. I love our safeties. Other than that, you know, I joked with uh, with Colin bullshit on Matt Milano. Joe B loves him. He wants to, uh, you know, he 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 wants to put himself out there with that one. I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it. He's a good he's a good player. I don't know if he belongs at six, but he's a good player. I agree with a lot of what you said. I would go one further though with Shady on my list. I'd still have him at number one, despite his age. He might not be quite as quick as he was. I still think he's the best player on this team. And by saying this, I also get that I'm straying away from the word talent. And going to MVP when I say this, but how fucked is the Bills this year if Shady breaks his leg in week one? This team's done. It's over. Can you think this offense is bad now? Can you imagine this offense if LaShawn McCoy goes down? It's done. It's a done deal if he goes down. He's number one on my team, not just because of his, like I said, an MVP. I just think he's the best player. I like Trey White a lot, obviously. I just have one reservation about him, and it's not even his fault. The Bills have had a history recently of having guys who've had corners, I'm talking about, who've had really good rookie seasons and then kind of their play slipped off after their their rookie year. Gilmore was fantastic as a rookie. You know, Ronald Darby had, I mean, he wasn't a first round pick, but he was their first pick that year. He had a fantastic rookie year. We thought Ronald Darby was going to be a huge star on this team. Even Leotis McKelvin was pretty good early on. I just hesitate to have a guy who's only played in the NFL for one year, as good as he was last year as a rookie, have him number one on my list. I just worry too much about a drop-off. Maybe quarterbacks and receivers start to figure him out when they have uh, you know, game film and stuff on him. I like him a lot, so I'm not trying to bury the guy by any means. But I just, for that reason, right now on my list, I would have McCoy. And as for Hyde and Poyer, you talked at length about them. I like them both a lot, too. My only thing is, I like to see another good year out of them as well. You know what I mean? Micah Hyde got a nice contract. He had a nice, he had some nice numbers. He was really good in Green Bay too. I mean, he wasn't at the level that he played last year with Buffalo, but I expected him to be good. Now, Poyer, he was a cast off in Cleveland. You know what I mean? The Browns didn't want his ass. He didn't do anything with them. He came nah, to I Buffalo know. and he became a freaking stud last year. He was a stud last year. 
I think he still is and he can be. I just want to see it for another year. That's my only, uh, and it's not even beefs. It's just my only critiques. Speaking of, uh, you know, not, not this, uh, not this time, but within the past week, speaking of jerseys, I think a Micah Hyde would be sweet. I, I, I think I'm going to grab me one of those. Good. Cause then when he's gone in two years, you could be like these Jack Eichel fans right now complaining about it. We just hey, had this conversation. Then we just had this conversation last week about buying jerseys. You probably would felt that way about Sammy Watkins and Kane and Ryan O'Reilly and all these guys. No, let's not get, let's not go that route again. Dude, I think, I think, I think I got a five year. All right. That gives me four more years with it. I'm doing it. Hey, here's a Ryan O'Reilly had seven years. Ryan O'Reilly drove his car to a fucking Tim Hortons. Okay. I mean, (laughs) Micah Hyde's going to be here for the five. All right. Here's a question I got for you because I got my guy like already. Biggest jump on this list next year? Um, It's a good question. I'm going to say, and I don't think you're going to agree with this, but I really like Harrison Phillips. I think he's going to have a major role in that defensive line, maybe not week one, but I think he's going to, his role is going to increase on that line, and I think he's going to become a really, really good player. He could go from 19 to shit. He's got, Joe B's got Kyle Williams nine right now. Maybe Harrison Phillips takes nine next year. Okay. Uh, well, well, here, here's here. I, I like that because that would be a 10 spot jump. All right. To go from 19 to nine, which would beat my guy's jump of eight spots. Who you got? I got Tremaine Edmonds going from 10 to two. Wow. Could happen. It's conceivable. Yeah. He physically had, again, this is a talent list. He sure as hell doesn't lack on talent, I think he might struggle though as a rookie. I don't think it's a lock that he's going to be a very good middle linebacker as a rookie. I think if he stays healthy, he's definitely going to become a good player. But And I know a lot of people, including Joe during our interview last week, said that he's a legit defensive rookie of the year candidate. You could be right. Shit, I hope I you're think, right, man. I, 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 I hope don't you're think right. there's anyone I'm more excited to watch. <laughs> I really don't, man. Just because of the freakish size and athleticism. I, I don't think there is anybody out there I am more excited to watch play football this year. He's going to be main- fun, but I'm more excited to watch Josh Allen play at some point. If it takes your little Nate Peterman getting hurt and A.J. McCarron being a scrub Why for a couple weeks. Why it be little? Whatever. He's- get get rid of both of them. Let them. Actually, I don't want Josh in there before week five or six. But once the Bills go one and four, two and five, whatever it is, I want Josh Allen. And when he comes... Dude, can you imagine? I don't know what week it's going to be. It's not going to be week one unless something crazy happens. But this fucking guy is going to eventually start sometime this year as a rookie. Do you know, no matter what the record is this year, how hyped Buffalo Bills fans are going to be the week that Josh Allen makes his NFL debut? It's going to be off the hook. How can you possibly be more excited about anyone else than that? Don't you want to see if this guy's any good or not? I'm nervous. I mean, I I think he, I'm worried that he's going to be, you know, what a lot of people think he's going to be. Whereas with Edmonds, you know, I'm I'm confident with so Fair. there's there's a different thing. Hey, I um how long you you in Buffalo for? What's what what's your expected I'm here. Uh, I'm in return? Buffalo. I am still here for another I'm here for about another three and a half weeks. Till what? What is that? I'm not leaving. So you'll be- I'm going to be here until around August. 10th or maybe even actually the 17th. Not quite sure yet. Depends how things go with uh with work. 
I think I want to go. To, I think I'm hitting Cleveland for the preseason game. What date's that on? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I think it's week two of the preseason, though, and I think it'd be, you know, I think it'd be fairly inexpensive, and um, I, I think it'd be, a, and I think you're going to get a lot of guys who uh, who matter to this football team getting reps, and and I think it's, uh, I think it's an all day roadie, maybe a live, maybe like an on location. Do a podcast after the game. Oh, yeah. We'll see how that goes. Maybe we'll work that out. Let's get some press passes. The the Bills ain't giving you no fucking press passes. I (laughs) promise you that much. They don't give people who have 114 Twitter followers. You can promise you're not getting no press pass. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, Vegas has the Bills listed. I want to talk about this for a minute. Vegas has the Bills listed as 4-1 to Odds to make not to win the division to make the playoffs. That a good bet or a bad bet? Now I'm not talking a dollar. Who wouldn't throw a dollar on something? If you had a hundred dollars that you could barely afford to part with right now, and you were going to bet it, would you bet on the Bills making the playoffs at four and a half to one, or would you save your hundred bucks? Damn, I'm up to 114 followers now. Yeah, dude, you're creeping, man. You're creeping up. You lose, you gain one, you lose one. Uh, four and a half to one. Yeah. What the fuck, man? Yeah. I, I'll, I, I mean, you know, we're getting to the point now where there's almost as many NFL teams making the playoffs as it, as it, uh, as it was, you know, when, when hockey sent uh, a shitload of teams to the playoff, you know, half their league to the playoffs every year. We're not quite there yet with the NFL, but we're pretty damn close, you know, making that 17 years without it that much more incredible. But yeah, man, four four and a half to one just for the rooting interest. You know, I, now I'm not scraping up like again. Every dollar. I'm saying, a, yeah, I'm talk, talking a dollar or two just to have rooting interest. You're gonna throw down a hundred bucks that you know it's gonna it's not gonna break you, but it's it's gonna hit you pretty hard. That you really don't want to part with that hundred bucks, but you're taking a crack at getting four fifty back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not going without uh, the you know the mortgage payment like I would on. Uh, What's that other bet where I said I would uh, basically steal from my girlfriend to make the bet? Oh, over like four wins. Yeah. Um. At the, at the last time we talked. Yep. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not that confident in in this one. But uh, yeah, that those those are those are pretty long odds just to make the uh, the playoffs. I would. I, I don't yeah. agree, man. I, I'm on. I'm on the other end on this. I'm saving my hundred bucks. I don't think that they're going to make the playoffs. I mean. At four and a half to one, you're not supposed to think they're going to make it, but I'm not willing to bet money. Even if I got four and a half times my investment that the bills are making the playoffs. I don't think they're making the playoffs for starters. You can eliminate winning the division. So right away, you're down to a wild card right off the bat before the season starts, you're down to a wild card. And when you're talking teams, I mean, you know, you got the AFC West, Kansas city is going to be better. I love the chargers this year, Oakland and Denver. I expect to be better. Houston's the team to beat in the South and Jacksonville. Holy shit. That's two teams right there. So you can almost, and Tennessee, dude, that's two. That might be all three playoff teams. That might be both your wild cards in that same division right there. Not to mention Baltimore, Pittsburgh, whoever don't win that division. I don't think there's any, the Bills ain't making the playoffs. So yeah, the the odds, save that hundred bucks. Go buy yourself a knockoff jersey or something like that. The the guy will be gone in two years. I'll, t- I'll tell you one bet I would make, though. I don't care what the odds are. The odds are 15 to 1. 
So what? I'd have to put down a hundred dollars to win fifteen, hundred fifteen to get back. I'll take a hundred dollars, go to Vegas right now, and bet that New England's making the playoffs, and only get fifteen dollars out of it. I'll do that bet every single time. You tell me someone in the AFC East who's beating New England over the course of sixteen games. It's not fucking happening. I don't care if Tom Brady breaks his neck in week one. It doesn't matter. New England is not going to not win the AFC East this year. I don't care what the odds are. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a uh, hundred bucks to, to win 15. Yeah. Uh, you know, knock yourself out, man. But with New England, I pretty much, you know, for Bills fans, I think I kind of indirectly just said what my un, up, unpopular opinion for the week is. What is your unpopular opinion for the week? What was yours? That you could take New England at any odds and oh, I'll still bet you. them. You can make it 500 to one. I'll win $1 on a 500 bet. That's how confident I am that they're winning the AFC East this year. I got you. All right. Well, mine is, uh, you know, is this uh, wonderful uh, tournament that was part of your terrible, unpopular opinion a couple weeks ago. People can argue Ronaldo and Messi all they want as the best soccer player in the world. All right. But for me, I'm calling it right now. Kevin De Bruyne of Belgium and Manchester City is the best footballer in the world right now. That's for you, my man. That is an unpopular opinion and a fabulous one for my World Cup hating friend, Patrick Moranalytics. I, I, I don't know that I would call it unpopular. I would call it, I don't even know who the fucking guy is that you're talking about. It's a goddamn travesty that you don't know who Kevin De Bruyne is. I don't. I don't know who that is. I'd have to Google him, and I don't care. But here, let, who cares? Because I do have a surprise for you as we end this. I usually give pucks a little bit of a a little bit of a call sheet, at least the topics. I mean, we we don't have any kind of script or anything like that, obviously. But I give you some notes, and I say, all right, this week we're going to hit on this. We're going to hit on this. I want to make sure we talk about this, and if we have time, we'll talk about this. I didn't tell you this on purpose. Every single week, every guest I have, I always end every interview with a little mini lightning round. I ask my guest a series of random questions. They're pretty much the same questions for different guests. And then they don't, without much thinking involved, whatever pops in their head, they give me that answer. I did not give you the benefit of preparing for this. So it is completely off the cusp. I am going to put you into the mini lightning round. I'm going to pretend that you're actually someone that matters. And I'm going to ask you these questions as if you were someone that matters. Let's see what you got. You ready? I am digging it. You know what, though? I got to admit, even though you never, you know, you didn't tell me this was coming. I referenced your lightning round and answered and told my girlfriend one of one of the answers. already so so I'm, I'm ready for at least one of the questions um you know that's 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 coming at me to be honest with you i find that kind of surprising because i would have bet money that you usually don't even listen to this podcast especially the ones if you're not on I it know. i know you ain't listening well, you know, and what, even what the ones happened? you're on you probably only listen to pat with pucks well what happens is you know the the 
the lightning round is the last thing. So as I start getting closer to Pat with pucks, I basically just get through the lightning round <laughs> because it's too hard to like to move the little lever with my finger one way or another. So you are, you are mostly right. All right. That's funny. Again, like I said, most of these I ask all the time and I do a couple in. All right. Your all time favorite athlete. Oh man. Um, Magic Johnson. Favorite non-sports related activity to do? Oh, I'm a video gamer, man. I'm a gamer. Okay. Favorite city to visit? Oh, New York. What's the best sports movie ever? It's a, it depends on what I'm in the mood for, man. If I want a good story, it's Bull Durham. If I just want to, have some fun and shit. It's uh, it's Major League. Let's say this. If you could go back and be 15-year-old Tone Pucks all over again, what do you think you would have wanted to do with your life? Oh, man. Um, dude, honestly, I love, you know, that for anyone who uh, doesn't know what I do, which is probably anybody, um, or some of what I do, I would have taken the... Um, the refereeing that I do now to a, to a professional level. Like I, I love, you know, being an, an umpire and a football referee and a basketball referee so much at the high school level that I would have aspired to make it, you know, a career at the professional levels. Good answer. I got two more left and it's starting to hit me that I'm going to get roasted by people who are listening right now that really don't give a shit what you would have wanted to be with your life. What? These are great answers. They are. Actually, I'm going to give you some props, man. I mean, you still got a couple left here, but you're actually doing much better than I anticipated. I thought with no preparation, you would have been falling all over yourself. Here's the second last question. If Twitter were to send you a note and say, yo, pucks, you're only allowed to follow one person on Twitter and one person only, who would it be and why? This is this is the one, man. This is the one I told I told Sherry that what it would be, and it's out of fucking nowhere. And I didn't even hardly know this this uh, this person until until uh, Sherry until my girlfriend turned me on to her. I think Chrissy Teigen is the absolute best Twitter follow going, man. I love following Chrissy Teigen. She's good. That's it. She's good. She's awesome. I love her, man. She's funny as shit, and we share the same political views, and she gives you a little look into uh, in, into parenting, you know, uh, even by famous people. Love her. Love her to death. Dude, I got to be honest with you, man. I thought this was going to be some gotcha podcasting. I thought I was going to throw you off here and really fuck you up, but you've actually held your own really well. Last question, though. Let's see what you got here. Three dinner guests from any era, dead or alive, any era, who you got? Oh, man. You know, this is one you got to really think about. And I'm going to start here with someone who probably comes fairly close to Chrissy Teigen uh, on, on the Twitter side, although he's not as active anymore. And that person's Luke Russert. However, Luke is not the dinner guest. His father, Tim, is. So, Tim Russert, um, I've, I've got at dinner. Oh, man. Who else do I have at dinner? Who else do I have at dinner? Scully 
That's our friend. <laughs> I think maybe four people listening to this will actually know who that is. Oh man. Shout out yeah, Scully. Oh my God. Oh, Tim, Tim Rossard and Scully. Oh shit. And, um, Oh, who's the last person going to be? By the way, Scully would find a reason to not show up. Oh man. I gotta, I, I, I think, I think I have to break bread with, uh, with Barack, man. Good job, man. Good job. I want to give a shout out to the NFL. Just about 10 days away from training camp. My interest never waned for a single day during this offseason at all. You got anyone out there you want to give a shout out to? No. Dynamite drop in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Big thank you one more time to Kenny Anderson. Legitimately one of my favorite point guards ever. I don't like to say NBA point guard because he was one of my favorite college point guards ever as well. Appreciate his time, him doing the show. Make sure you check out that Mr. Chibs documentary on Amazon if you haven't already. It's fantastic. Thanks as always to Tone Pucks for coming on, doing our Pat with Pucks segment. I always enjoy doing that. If you haven't done so already, please go to iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. It's quick, it's easy, it's free. You just hit subscribe. You don't got to do nothing else. New episodes are sent directly to your phone or to your laptop. You can also subscribe on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere podcasts are heard nowadays. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. Have a nice, safe week. I'll have a brand new show for you again on Thursday. Peace out.